Log Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis, and we're going to have a heat wave today. It's going to be 40 degrees. Yay! The sun is shining. This is MJ Network, and Dr. Josh Cavuto and I are going to take on reading assessment and problem solving. This is my area. This He's an expert, and this is going to be so interesting, and I just told everybody in the world to listen. So good morning, and welcome back to MJ Network. This is real. I read the dissertation four times, by the way. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, friend. Uh, thank you for having me on, and uh, it's, it's my pleasure. Well, this, this is fun, and then I was telling it to somebody the other day, and they looked at me and they go, oh, I'm so impressed. I said, well, you should be. What can I say? <laughs> so... The first question is, I mean, there's so many different, with education the way it is now, it's pretty bad. And the way teachers have to work, you know, from home or they work remote or whatever. What did you refer the reading assessment as problem solving? And I know I tested a lot of children in a million years, but this is a new way to test kids. How is this better, prediction, correct? How do you correct, how do you assess somebody through problem solving? Yeah, um uh, quite honestly, Fen, I think the best way to answer that very good question is mm-hmm. the way we really don't want to test them is with number two pencil tests. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the California Achievement Tests and uh, uh, and the like, uh, to sit them down with a number two pencil, have them color in little boxes and uh, and get a score. That that really, as you well know, doesn't do it, right? So, you better uh, believe it. Yeah. Uh, in fact, if I may, I, I did uh, – I'll try not to be too long-winded, but I did have a uh, a child at my uh, private office uh, several years ago, and uh, she was in second grade, and I was testing her, and uh, the first test I gave was a word recognition test after chatting with her, et cetera, and she read about three words on the whole test, and uh, Mm. I I, I saw very early that she was basically a a non-reader, a first pre-primer reader. She was in second grade. So then, of course, I couldn't give the reading comp because if she can't read the words, she there's no way she's going to do the uh, comprehension test where she would read out loud. Uh, so instead, I did the listening comp where I read mm-hmm. two up, and she, oh, my goodness, she scored like fifth grade. She was really a very bright little girl. And then mm-hmm. I did the recent vocabulary, and she should look at pictures, and I say a word, uh, dinosaur, she has to point to it, uh, locomotive, she has to point to it. Well, the receptive vocabulary was wonderful. So at this point in, in my assessment process, right, I know this is a bright little girl who just hasn't learned how to break the code. So when I met with the mm-hmm. parents after the, the uh, testing, I explained this to them, and the mother was almost in tears, and I said, I'm sorry, I, I said, did you not know that she was so far behind? She's in second grade. She really was reading on a first pre-primer level. 
And mom mm. said, Mexico Voodoo, no, I didn't know. I said, well, I'm sorry, but why did you bring her here then? And she said, well, my neighbor has been coming here for a while. And she, she speaks so highly of you. I just thought I'd check her out just in case. So I said, oh, my goodness, well, I'm glad you did because she's kind of in big trouble in reading. The school has mentioned it. She said, no, every time I ask the school, they say, and I, I call it the mighty, the, I call it the pudding response. They say, fine, like mighty fine pudding. We both remember that, right? Yeah, they, they I know. She's doing fine. I said, well, well, she's really not. And so I, I went on and I explained each thing to her. And she said, well, that's it. She's going to come here and I'll send her three times a week. And I said, no, 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 mm. no. One time a week will be fine. If you want to do two, that's fine. But we don't want to make her dislike it. I got a call the next day from the district reading coordinator who said to me, mm-hmm. Dr. Hood, I hear you told Mrs. So-and-so that her little girl was a non-reader. I said, uh-huh. She said, well, I, I'm sorry, but I have to respectfully disagree with you. And I said, okay. I said, where do you see her? So, well, I see her as a 1.4 reader. Oh, my well, God. When that, you know what they're giving a pencil and paper uh, result, right? So, yeah. I said, so I started laughing, which isn't terribly professional, but I said, you know, 1.4, I said, with all due respect, Ms. Ms. Johnson, I said, uh, you got that score from what, uh, California Achievement Test, uh, Stanford Achievement Test? Yeah, good test. guessing. Yeah, and she said, uh, yeah, exactly. I said, well, what simply happened with uh, with Elizabeth, but she colored in enough of those little blocks correctly, and she got mm-hmm. a report. She said, well, do you... Do you know that for a fact? I said, well, you know, uh, we, why don't we not? Why don't we agree to disagree at, for the moment? Let me ask you this: What do you say when you sit down with Elizabeth and listen to her read? And there was this rather pregnant pause. I said, well, mm-hmm. Doctor, what embarrassed? I, I, I've never met Elizabeth. So, so I said, well, you know, what, instead of us you know, kind of disagreeing, why don't you sit down and have her read to you and call me back? And she called me back the next day and she said, well, uh, Dr. to be honest with you, uh, I'm a little embarrassed. Uh, you're right. She's, she is a non-reader, and we have to definitely get her in our remedial reading group. Just unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Uh, again, we, we this is incredible reliance on scores as a co- as opposed to looking at process. I agree. It's it's. I mean, I've tested so many children. Um, when they came in, and my principal would say to me, well, you know, do a quick one. I, I can't do anything quick. And a lot of times, just the word recognition may be in one area, one test may not be as – I would give them a word recognition in several, a couple, because I wanted yeah, to and, be sure. Yeah, and, then, yeah, and, and, and again, what I thought in preparation for my uh, interview with yeah. you today, what I thought would might be helpful for your listeners would be to kind of take take – if again, not, not all the way through, but – Perhaps take you through a, um, a simulated uh, 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 reading for process kind of uh, yeah. assessment. Where the first the first one I gave Elizabeth is word recognition, and these are mm-hmm. these are typical words in isolation, as you know, Fran, and that's mm-hmm. not terribly uh, valid, but it's a starting point. And again, if she can only read three words in isolation, she's not going to read hundreds in contacts that we know, right? And, that's uh, for sure. Yeah, but let's say let's say she scored. Let's say as a second grader, uh, she scored 2.8, 3.0. End of second grade. Let me not be a, use those funny scores. End of second grade, beginning third grade. The next mm-hmm. test I would have given her would have been a reading comprehension test where she reads silently. I time her to yeah. see. Didn't know I'm timing her, but I'm timing her just to see how quickly she gets through it. 
Then I ask her questions. Then after that, I have her read it orally, and uh, I then can ascertain a reading comprehension level. Okay, so this is part of I, that's the name of my book. This is part of uh, the uh, reading assessment, a problem-solving approach. What I did was I immediately ruled out word recognition as a mm-hmm. causal factor. All right, that was okay. It wasn't wonderful, but it was okay. Uh, I always want the word recognition, uh, the decoding to be a year above, okay, grade level mm-hmm. place. That, that, that's a nice safe level, as you well know. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, it's just pretty close to that. But the comprehension, when I tested the comprehension, hmm, I noticed the, the, the it took a, longer than, a lot longer than it should have to read it silently. And when she read it orally, it was really not fluent reading. So I, I was able to realize that for, although uh, Elizabeth's reading was kind of okay, it wasn't immediate. She didn't immediately decode words. I knew that from the time it took her. And secondly, her comprehension suffered because she couldn't pass the, I started her off easy with a beginning second grade. Mm. Perhaps she couldn't pass that one. So I went to the 1-2, and that one she was able to pass comprehension-wise. So this was a little girl with decoding, okay, but a comprehension problem. And now I have to say, well, why is the comprehension a problem? And the last thing I wanted to is to jump to some vaguely defined medical causation, as you well know. That's not what I did. Yeah. And I said to myself, well, this is kind of simple. She's taking so much time to figure out the words because she's not recognizing them immediately that she's draining She's draining her attention, referred to as the trade-off of attention. Mm-hmm. She's just not having enough attention to give to the, uh, to give to the uh, meaning. And how do you solve that? Simple. you got to get her to read words more quickly. You have to get her to, to decode more fluently. And there's only a way to do that. She's got to do lots of reading at independent levels. So mm-hmm. I'm going to stop there because I don't want to keep going on and on. And forgive me. But, uh, again, this is, this is looking at process. And from there, I would, go to, I would go to vocabulary, receptive vocabulary. And from there, I'd go to, as I said, listening comp. And then you get a... A full, full, um, how shall I say, uh, non-medical uh, assessment of where this youngster is, and after that, you can you can work with her. Uh, there's nothing, in my opinion, it's kind of sad when we we say, well, this youngster has a central auditory processing difficulty. Uh, mm-hmm. That that doesn't inform an instruction at all. In fact, I've had so many teachers tell me, well, Dr. Yeruda, do you work with kids with an auditory, essential processing difficulty? And I said, well, geez, I don't know. What is that? And they said, well, you know, processing. <laughs> That's a circumlocution. I mean, you know, that, I said, no, I, I still don't know what that means. And that's the problem with these, these medical-sounding uh, mm-hmm. uh, They don't inform instruction. If they don't inform instruction, they're absolutely useless, other than making the kid feel like they have a disorder. These most teachers I know, because as a reading person, thank goodness, um, and I've watched teachers teach reading in, in groups, have no idea. They sit down and they look at the story. They don't look through the processing. They don't go over the vocabulary. They don't even um, ask questions to predict outcomes or whatever. And they just, whatever the book says, that's what they do. So yeah. these people really have no idea how to teach reading. Now, I taught children like Elizabeth, and believe it or not, this was fifth grade. <laughs> I 
A group of fifth graders came in and said, we're not going. But the boy said to me, I'm sitting here. They said you were the best, and you're going to teach me how to read. And I looked at him and go, like, who are you? Where'd you come from? What do I yeah. know? Yeah. And I looked at him and I said, what makes you think that I'm going to be able to teach you how to read? He says, they told me that in 10 minutes I'm going to know how to read words. I go, you're asking for a miracle. He just yeah. sat down. He brought posse with him. And you know what? You have to sort of, like, figure out. What do I teach somebody that's 12 that doesn't know the alphabet, doesn't know anything? They just started to do something. And in like 10 minutes, he was actually able to read. The, yeah. this, like with the and words. Or the, he was, and I had the preventing academic failure. And I said, okay, let's try this. If that doesn't work, we're going to try sight vocabulary. That went for pattern sentence. I had a, the Fran Lewis uh, invention of how to teach kids how to read. The end of the year, he was above grade level. I don't know. Yeah. I, I pulled yeah. out everything. But that's yeah. what, that's the problem. The, mo- the majority of the teachers engage in the kind of problem solving that explained in your book. Teachers are not trained like that. The principal gives them, you know, books, and they say, well, the, this group last year was in this kid, were in this group last year, this kid was in that group last year, and they just sort of go ahead from there. The yeah. proper way to teach a reading lesson, they have no idea. Yeah. So how do you get them to change their mindset and use problem solving? And, you know, you're right, the California test, whatever, all that means nothing. Because you're right, they can, they, I have had kids that have scored six point something and couldn't read a word. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and it's a great question, friend. And, I, I, again, this is going to be a little bit redundant, and I apologize beforehand. That's okay. Because I did say it in our last interview. But uh, the, the, the problem, as I see it, is, is really a very simple one. And that is that we do not train teachers enough in terms of really the we don't, mm-hmm. we don't uh, let's get rid of the word trained we don't teach them it, it, we don't give them an in-depth understanding of reading process and the reason we don't is really quite simple education programs throughout this country do not require the average in an undergraduate program in elementary education of our 123 credits is nine credits in the teaching of reading. Friend, that, do you believe? Right. Nine credits in the teaching of reading. Now, as someone who has uh, written and who has been in charge of uh, master's degree programs, that's 36 credits in reading. That's a huge difference that, that an expert makes. But six, in fact, six is more the average than nine, but six to nine credits does not do it. So what... What are teachers to do? Well, what teachers do then is they rely on, as you quite correctly mentioned, they rely on the basal readers. They hand it a book. Yeah. The book has a teacher's guide, which has a script in it, and they follow mm-hmm. the script. And unfortunately, that's not, that doesn't do it. That, you know, statistically, I love this study where they did it in the 1960s, the, Cooperative first grade studies, uh, Gene Shaw from Harvard was in charge of it, but it was done throughout the country. And they wanted to look at the best reading programs, and they looked at phonics programs. They looked at uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, sight word uh, programs. They looked at uh, uh, programs that were a combination, and this is my favorite. They also looked at schools that didn't have a reading program. God forbid. All they had were books. And... Uh, then they took all the results and tabulated them, and they did this as longitudinal. Did this over two, three, four years, and they found that it seemed that as though, in regardless of program, 60% of the children learned to read, regardless of the program, and approximately 40% did not. They were below level. Well, 
the U.S. government that funded the, uh, this program, they weren't very pleased. So they sent them back and said, listen, look at your, redo your statistics. And they did. And they found something which, oh, I really love this finding. And if you have any teachers in your audience, they should love this mm-hmm. finding also. They found that when they reexamined their, they did a meta-analysis of their, their statistical findings, what they found was, ah, we found something that made a difference. And it wasn't program. It was teacher. It mm-hmm. appears some of the teachers, regardless of the program they were in, just made more progress with their children than other teachers. And that became known as the, the teacher factor, the teacher variable. And oh, I, I love that finding because it's, it tells us unequivocally that if you're talking about how to help youngsters learn to read, and especially that 40%, because that 60%, they're going to learn in spite of their instruction. But that 40%, they're really going to need a teacher who's good at this. And some teachers, even with six credits, just have an innate understanding of process, but many don't. So the teacher variable, in my, in my view, is critically important, but we, we keep forgetting that. We keep forgetting that. We talk about, are you Wilson? Are you uh, uh, Orton Gillingham? Are you a little rock and roll? I, I mean, uh, are you whole language? Are you half language? <laughs> It's almost like uh, it's almost like you should walk around with a T-shirt, you know, uh, uh, and indicate. And, and these, these programs, as you well know, they they come and they go. But uh, in fact, one of the programs, uh, well, I'll, I'll name it. Of course, I'm not going to be shy about it. It's called the Wilson Program. It's very uh-huh. popular, very popular in special ed circles, as you may, you probably, mm-hmm. I'm sure you know. I shouldn't say probably. You're a reading expert. Uh, mm-hmm. The Wilson Program, interestingly enough is used widely with special ed youngsters who are uh, uh, 95% of uh, LD kids are, are labeled LD because their reading and writing is below level. Whatever label we give them, that's inconsequential. It's because they can't read and write on grade level. The Wilson program is so difficult, so difficult. Mm-hmm. I know teachers who have been trained in reading who say, Dr. Gavuto, I've been teaching reading for 20 years. I am, I'm afraid when the Wilson person is coming in to observe me because it's so darn hard. They have me tapping out words. They have me tapping out words. Now, Fred, why should we have a program that if it's hard for teachers, it's, it's going to be used with children who are already struggling? It just doesn't make sense. It, it, it's frightening, I know. You know what's even more frightening is that well, I taught for a thousand years and my principal, system principal, when I first started, they were really good. But the system principal, when I had, when I was going for my reading messes, Mike is a reading specialist, so he he would come in and take over my reading group and said, watch, watch how I do this. I, but I could do that, too. It was really fun because he was really great. But administrators have no idea. They have the book in front of them. They They come in to observe, and they have no idea about yeah. what is a good reading lesson because they're not reading people. Right. And... Parents, too, need to take a more, you know, my, my niece, my nephew is autistic. My other nephew has a high IQ, and I keep telling her if she needs me, you know, to help him or something with reading, I can. Oh, it's the school's responsibility. I said, no, it's yours, too. I said, sure. you've, got to take, you've got to take your thing. So here's another question from my paper, your paper. Um, the hardest thing is to pick what piece of assessment puzzle, in your view, is the most subjective, which type of 
tool would you use? If you're doing a word recognition or comprehension, I mean, you could tell in five seconds, you know, whether somebody could read or not. Uh, what is the definition of an automatic decoder and automaticity? And sometimes you get these kids that I got um, that can read fluently and understand nothing because they're not listening to what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good. Uh, it's a very good question. Uh, the 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 term automaticity is an interesting term. Uh, I'm laughing because it it sounds more difficult than it is. But but clearly there are two types of decoders. You can decode automatically, which is defined as reading a word in in one second, okay, or or less. So basically we'd say at sight, yes. Uh, or uh, there's mediated decoding. Now, mediated decoding is just the opposite. It's not doing it automatically. It takes you more than one second. It takes you two, three, four, whatever. And uh, the, the difference between those two is critical, the critical, critically important. The only thing is, unfortunately, oftentimes it's measured with words in isolation. And mm-hmm. words in isolation are incredibly difficult to read for beginning readers. That's why you see these kids reading McDonald's signs and uh, uh, the, the Shell gas station because the words are in a, in a meaningful context, yes? Uh, you take mm-hmm. them out of that context, they're in big trouble, uh, which is fine. They're only four years old or five years old. It's called environmental print. But um, when, when youngsters are reading meaningful, meaningful text, which means it's in, the words are in sentences, you want to look to see if they're able to recognize the words automatically or is the process mediated? And, Fred, I, 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 this is going to sound, uh, it is neurological, uh, but the neurologists have told us that all human functioning, okay, all human being activities are initially learned in a mediated fashion, and only with lots and lots of practice do those activities become automa- automatized. Mm. Yes? So when we're first learning on multiplication tables, how many, or addition or subtraction, how many children do you see using their fingers, yes? If they're not oh, using yes. their fingers, their fingers are under their desk, pressing on the on the desk so the teacher doesn't see them. Well, that's because they, they haven't automatized the process, yeah? Uh, and how do they automatize the process? There's no other way. They've got to do lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of addition and subtraction until they get it process becomes automatized, yes? Um, the uh, the, uh, the opposite is mediated, and mediated, uh, mediated decoding is how most youngsters read initially. They don't start reading the page fluently across. They, they kind of struggle. But if they continue to persevere and... And when they can't read a word, in fact, this is a biggie, but when youngsters are reading at home to parents and they're first, second grade, and they, they have that reading time, they got to check it off on the refrigerator that they did so. But if they're reading to their parent and they come to where they don't know, what do you think the most frequent feedback to that youngster is, Fred? If they're reading a word and they can get it, what do you think research shows us is the most frequent thing that parents say. Take a shot at that. Well, most parents, because I do know, I've watched them. I've watched my niece, whatever. They just tell them the word and tell them what the word means. Okay. They don't, they, or they'll say to them, well, they, they don't say to them, what do you think the word means or 
yeah. look at the sentence, skip the word, and come back to it. I've, wa- yeah. I've watched my my nieces. I've watched my sister when my nephew was younger. That's why yeah. she called me to help him. Um, they just tell him the word. Yeah. And, well, and this. Well, to be honest with you, the 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 research is. The research shows something a little bit different. In fact, uh, uh, Richard Allington, uh, a professor emeritus at uh, mm-hmm. UNI Albany, really, really bright guy. And uh, he did a lot of research on this, and he, he looked at parent feedback to student you were when students had difficulty. He found, and there were a lot of studies to confirm this, that believe it or not, many not the majority and say Sound it out. Sound it out. Okay? And mm-hmm. the problem is with saying sound it out, and again, I'm not anti-phonics, but the problem with saying sound it out is they might be saying sound it out for a word that is simply not sound outable. That's right. And there are a lot of words in English that are phonetically inconsistent. They do not sound out, and unfortunately, many of those grades appear in the first and second, third grade readers. Huh? So if they are saying sound it out, the youngster tries to sound out uh, brought and mother and uh, uh, many other uh, words that are phonetic, wood, that are phonetically inconsistent. They can't do it, and they don't say, oh, my goodness, why is she asking me to sound out a word that's phonetically inconsistent? They think that there's something wrong with them. Okay, so as much as I, I'm not a big fan of uh, uh, giving students a kind of a rubber crutch of sorts, I do think mm-hmm. that in many cases the best thing is for parents to to actually count to four. That's called wait time, and then give the youngster the word. Now you said something before that is absolutely correct. Now. But again, friend, you have the knowing eye as a reading specialist and the knowing mm-hmm. ear. You know, and you—that's because you—and you also read a lot faster than kids, right? But <laughs> yep, I looking do. at the sentence, you can you can make a decision. Well, you know what? Why don't you just skip that word and go on, and then come back and see if you can guess what it means. You're teaching yeah. them to use context clues. Yes. Yep, uh, I am. Right, and unfortunately, it's it's so hard. <laughs> It, it, it's not easy to even teach teachers, classroom teachers, elementary school teachers, how to do that well. Um, they tend to be of the, the, the sounded out persuasion all the time. Instead of if the word is contextually bound and you could use meaning cues, they just skip that, honey, and just go on, come back, ah, sense there, exactly what you said before. This, this kind of thing. I, I, is, I found also when I teach reading, um, which most people didn't do, because my, like I said, it was the Fran Lewis invention method, and I watched other people, and I'm saying, if you get a story or a paragraph, and there's a lot of new words, I would go over the words first in context, and then underline the words that they didn't know, and then they would have to come back and figure it out before they even read the story, so that when they finally read the story, they have the understanding of the vocabulary that's there, and most teachers have no idea what that is. They don't yeah. know how to do that either. Yeah, and yeah. It does work, by the way. Pardon me. That does work. <laughs> of course, of course. That, that's why they. That's why you know basal reading programs. They they they, um, they yeah. have been and they still they still are the most um, 
frequently used programs uh, in the United States. And it's very simple. It's because they are, uh, it is a, it is a program that gives the teacher enormous support. Not only do they have the before reading activities, they have the during mm-hmm. activities, and then the post reading activities. Yes, mm-hmm. and teacher uh, people like yourself who are uh, cognizant of reading processes know, hey, it makes some sense to preview the technical vocabulary before or the difficult mm-hmm. vocabulary before. But many teachers don't know that. But the basal reading uh, uh, teacher's guide. Tells them to do that, yes? In fact, even That's tells right. them which word to do. Uh, good and bad. The good news is that it, basically basal reading programs are, in my view, um, uh, theoretically sound. The problem is they become mm-hmm. a crutch. And, and, and teachers, if the teachers would just use them as a guide, and, and if they had more than the six or nine credits in, in reading, uh, they could really, what I call do basal plus, to use the basal as a guide and then go well beyond that, including finishing the basal reading story and then getting the children involved in a full-length work of literature. Well, I, I agree with you because a lot of times I would ditch the reader and I would bring in, I would bring in stories that I found on the Internet that were on the grade level, actually a little bit harder. And when I had a reading group, I had a reading group of fifth graders that the teacher of the class would, you know, that I was in school just to get them out of the room. That's how difficult they were. And yeah. they came down for reading, but never had to say a word. They were yeah. amazing. And I said to them, "Okay, this was so this was so unbelievable. They were supposed to come down three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And those were their days to come down. And they snuck out on Thursday and Friday. I go like, I need a break from you. You're driving me crazy. I don't want you here anymore. And they were yeah. cracked up laughing. We're here, and they they literally snuck out of the room. And I would tell them, okay, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you get to do what I do. But on Thursday and Friday, let them pick the type of stories and what they were interested in. So it was a wrestler or a, t- or a singer or a rap singer or something. And these kids just love coming to read because sometimes you have to ask them what they're interested in. What do you want to read about? What do you want to learn about? Because the, the reader could put you in sleep and snooze pill. Some oh, of those stories are really like, you know, they'll they'll take the better, you know, the the classics and they screw them up. Really yeah, yeah. well, they, 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 you're absolutely right. They actually call that dumbing them down, right? I think yeah. a dumbed-down version of A Tale of Two, the dumbed-down version of A Tale of Two Cities. Oh, yes. I think, I think it's good times, bad times. Oh, doesn't that hurt you? <laughs> it had, The Tale of Two Cities, as you know, begins with that beautiful example of parallel structure. That was the best uh-huh. of times. Sometimes instead, good times and bad times. But again, that's, I, I think there's so much really good literature around for youngsters today. That's not that's doesn't have to be dumped down in and of itself. That they're they're written at a level youngsters can handle them. Um, you mentioned something that I think is worth uh, more discussion. Um, mm-hmm. This um, my my again this book I'm writing, reading assessment, uh, a problem solving approach. Uh, to me, I'm just, I'm just, I've spent my lifetime virtually uh, from uh, 20 years on uh, to, oh, where I am now uh, uh, as a septuagenarian, uh, studying reading. I, I've had the, the benefit of uh, uh, standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, Edmund Burke Huey in 1898 mm-hmm. wrote a book called The Psychology and Pedagogy of Reading. 
I still Fred, have it. Have you heard of it? I read it in your class. I have it memorized, and I can even tell you step by step how he did it. <laughs> I remember. I used to refer to that text. Well, I say used to because then it went out of print. But that book, written in 1898, uh-huh. had to be, and still is, in my opinion, the best treatise I've read on the process uh-huh. of reading. And in fact, on the if you on the, it used to be hard to get because it's out of print. But now with the internet, it's easier to get from rare booksellers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh-huh. There, there are many around. But uh, the book starts out with this quote, and and if with your indulgence, quote. And so to completely analyze what we do when we read would be the acme of a psychologist's achievement. Would be to explain the most intricate workings of the human mind. Uh, mm. I think that's a great quote, and that great and that quote really does. Uh, it's a testament to the fact that hey, if this isn't easy, it's not easy really to understand inside out and and quite well how reading works as a process. Uh, but we do know, we do know that two courses is not going to do it. And, and Fran, you mentioned principles before. Don't you think it might be smart that we require the principal of the school to be certified in reading slash literacy? Oh, I de- definitely. My principal, when I first started, I won't say when, he was tough, but the assistant principal was a, was a reading specialist. So uh-huh. she would, you know, come in and whatever. But she did lower grades. I was lucky. I have no idea how I did it. I mean, this, the first year I taught the toughest class in the school, and somehow I made I'd be able to pull out. I pulled out all the stops, and they were able to do okay. But the next two years, it's hard because when the principal comes in and they're really not a reading person, they don't know. They just use the formula for what a lesson should be. They don't know what a lesson should be. And I had a sixth-grade class that was brilliant, so what did I do? Got in trouble. I read To Kill a Mockingbird, the original. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did it, and we did the trial and everything, and the principal walked in. What are you doing? I said, enjoying myself because this class, was, they were outrageous. They were so smart. Then yeah. I read Little Women, Little Men, and no, no, not the dumbed-down version, the real one. Yeah. And I was like, he looked at me and said, you can't read that I got, I can't read To Kill a Mockingbird. Why? The parents knew I was going to do it. They all bought the book. I wanted yeah. to do Huckleberry Finn, and he wouldn't let me. And I said, you know, this is this is why my class was so smart. This is why they they challenged me every single day. We read the New York Times. We read the Wall Street Journal. I mean, yeah. if you, if you think about the fact that they can do it, if yeah. you're in this in this thing that you say to yourself, okay, they're seven years old, they they can't do it. But they can if you really if you really want. But you know what? My assistant principal said it to me. You have to meet the needs of every single child in your class. And I don't think they do that now at all. With this pandemic, no. I don't think they did it before. Uh, and, you know, and, and you in could, fact, now with this pandemic, I think it's, I think it's really uh, going to be incredibly yeah. difficult. Uh, uh, you know, you mentioned To Kill a Mockingbird, which happens to I be... I love it. Yeah, and you know, one of the things about To Kill a Mockingbird, that's my favorite friend, and this is a little embarrassing, but uh, I actually, uh, way back when, when my youngest son, who is now, I'm sorry, my oldest son, who is now 40, let's see, 48 this year, uh, but when he was three years old, uh, uh, of course, my wife and I both read to to him all the time. Mm -hmm. He's three, three and a half 
we happen to be in a Chinese restaurant, and um, we're opening up the fortune cookies and laughing, and all of a sudden he was looking at his, and he said, you have a wonderful destiny in, you have a wonderful destiny in store for you. Oh, and God. my wife and I looked at each other, and we grabbed the, we grabbed the fortune cookies, and how the heck did he do that? I know for a fact that we read to him all the time. I know for a fact that he could read a word here and there, but I knew he never saw the word destiny. Uh, and I, I said, honey, do you know what that word means? He said, nope. Now, what I didn't know was how the heck can he read it then? So that became the impetus for my interest in what are called natural readers. Yeah. Natural readers are children who le- learn to read basically simply by being exposed to it. And um, uh, in fact, sometimes they call it the children who learn by reading on the knee, by sitting on the parent's knee and the parent reading to him or him or her. Well, well, uh, I, I was actually in the at the time starting my doctoral degree. This was before I taught at Lehman College with you uh, as my my star, one of my star students. But uh, uh, I I I made sure I investigated that phenomenon of natural readers because it was incredible. How could they do it? And I finally found out, I actually put it in the paper. I had a lot of um, early readers come to my office. Parents allowed me to videotape them. And, uh, friend, interestingly enough, I found out that natural readers, I I knew they could read words that they've seen before, but how can they read words that they've never seen before? For example, harpoon. I had this this one child who read that word off a, a decoding list. And I said, you know what that is? Nope. Now I'm thinking, how the heck can he read it then? Well, it, it's very interesting. Even though we didn't, didn't know the word harpoon and and had never seen it in a book, he knew the word far and car and par. Harpoon. Uh huh. And the brain all by itself makes the analogy. Fan, isn't that fantastic? I had the, one student like that in the sec in the first grade. Yeah, and I was so I was heart sick because I didn't want to put him in the next grade. He was, yeah. His name was Joey. He was brilliant, and I knew it. And I said to the assistant principal, "He's in the first grade. He's reading on fourth. I knew he was. Yeah. I knew he could read it and understand it. And I right. looked at her and I said, "Well, you know what? I'll work with him and I'll move because the class was bright. And they moved him to second grade. And I was so heartbroken. <laughs> they wanted right. to move him to third. Right. And I said, "You know what? Age-wise, that wouldn't have been too smart." But yes. Yeah, it's so. It was amazing. No, yes, I've been reading since I'm three. Won't yeah, oh, you're an early reader, also. Yeah. My aunt was a reading specialist, uh-huh. and my mother told me that when I was three, my aunt stood in front of me and said, "You will follow in my footsteps. You will learn to read, and I will make you into another me." I go, oh, "God help us." I'm three, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and I knew it. So here's another question that, you know, is interesting. I don't know if we're going to get to all of these today because I have a thousand more. And I did want to talk about the speech synthesizer, um, but we can always do that another time because I have a lot of questions. What is the right way to instruct a student as a teacher, student to decode words? When a student is instructed to reread and reread a paragraph for comprehension, after a while they lose it. And then you have the children that the word callers. You have kids that could read. This is this is what teachers get fooled with. You have a child that reads fluently, and they say, "Oh, great, Mrs. So and So, I'm going to call on little Johnny to read." And Johnny reads perfectly, but if you had to ask him a question, he couldn't tell you. 
because yeah. he's not focused on what he's reading. How, how do you correct that? How does the teacher realize that the child has a problem? And then, of course, those are the, they're the kids that will never raise their hands because they have poor self-esteem because they're embarrassed to make a mistake because sometimes teachers can be kind of nasty. Right. Well, I, it's, it's a very good question, and I, I think, quite honestly, that uh, – uh, by the way, I, I, before I forget, I have to get back to my To Kill Mockingbird point because I, I had a senior moment and, and I lost it. <laughs> the point is in To Kill a Mockingbird, Scout, if you remember Scout, the little girl, when she enters yes. uh, first grade or second grade, I think, yeah, she, um, the teacher asks her to, they, all the kids have uh, second grade readers, and uh, mm-hmm. the teacher asks her to, to um, it's her turn to, to read. They're going up and down the rows. They used that way back then also. And uh, Scout reads perfectly. So the teacher is amazed, and she gives her a more difficult book. And she reads that perfectly, the, a couple of paragraphs. And she gives her another book to read. She reads that perfectly. And, she said, and the teacher looks at her, not terribly happy, and says, Scout, who taught you to read? She said, nobody. I just, I, I, I just sit on uh, Jeb's lap, and he he reads uh, he he reads to me uh, the the newspaper, and uh, it just happened. And 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 she said, "Well, Jeb Scout, I want you to tell Jeb to stop doing that. I will try to undo the harm." <gasps> do you believe, it, Fran? It's a oh friend. my god! Yeah, I know. I read that. I go like, how do you say that to a child? Yeah, yeah. and believe it or not, it's almost as if. If, if children learn things, but they haven't been directly taught, forgive them. I mean, give me a break. In fact, I, I my the, the the little boy, my son, I described before, when he was in first grade, the teacher said um, to us in the first teacher conference, you know, he already can read. I, so I'm trying to be low-key about it. Yeah, yeah, we're aware of that. She said, yeah, it's a little bit of a problem. I said, okay, why is that? She said, well, because, you know, he talks to the other kids. So I said, uh, uh, yeah, uh, why don't you send him to the library? And this is going to sound terrible, Fran, but mm-hmm. she said, what is he going to read there? Well, she said, no, I'm sorry. She said, what is he going to do there? And what she really mm-hmm. meant was what kind of program would he be involved in, not realizing that if he can already read, he doesn't need a program. He just needs his books. It, you know, it's really sad. That's why I love this this top class that I had, because I was able to do things with, you know, I didn't have to have reading groups. What I did sort of cheated and did it my way. Um, each group picked the, the literature books they wanted to read, yeah. and we talked about it. And it wasn't yeah. like, what is the book about, whatever. It was, I think that's how what I learned when I took your class. How do you look deeper into what this, the book is saying, what the author is saying, and how do you get them to understand past what's on the page? And it was a lot of fun for two years. And then they did something awful and put me on first grade. And I said, how do you dare put somebody on first grade? I wasn't made to teach six-year-olds. And by the, time I got done, by the time I got done with the first graders, they were reading on fourth grade. Because what did I know? I mean, exactly. I just assumed that they were going to learn how to read. And they, a lot of them knew how to read before. I made my job so much easier. And I would never tell a parent if a child came in that you know how to read, and that's bad. That's, that's I would play with it. As a matter of fact, they sort of like work together. The kids that are on top would work with the children that were having problems. They were buddy reading, and that was that was a lot of fun, and they liked yeah. it. And every Friday, or I would invite a sixth grade class down to work with them. 
So yes. here's a, here's a question my, from my... In my experience, kids love nothing more than doing real reading. Now, Fran, I have a technical yes. question for you. I have my two landlines here, and they both, for whatever reason, uh, look like their batteries are low. If I called you back on my cell phone, would that work? No, because it'll get disconnected from the phone. Okay. So you know what? We can we can move this to another day. We can make it longer next time. Well, because well, if you do I'll, I'll, and you and you and you call back, you might you well, I might not be able to get you back in the program. Well, in you the know, station. I will we'll go on until uh, the phone cuts out. I thought if I had the second phone here, even though it's a low battery, that the, between with, the two with of them, Bob I could get an radio, hour. I never know what's going to happen. I get nervous right away. Yeah, so, well, we're okay so far, but if we, if uh, one or two continue, and if it we have to end uh, rather quickly, uh, so be it. Okay. Okay. So the last question for this one would be, what kind of retraining? Did, I mean, we have a pandemic that really is makes me upset. So if teachers actually want to teach reading, even remotely, what kind of retraining do they need? How do we get them to understand that just because it is a pandemic? That doesn't mean that real education can't go on. How do, what do we tell them to change their, their mindset? Oh, wait a second. I got you. Hold on a minute. Hey. Dave, okay, I got right? it back. Okay, you're there. I got it. Wonderful. So now we're good. I'm on myself. I got it. Good. Thank you. I should thank Webtalk for not messing me up. Okay. So I'll say that again. What, because there's a pandemic, what, how do we explain to teachers that education still has to be equal and the same? How do we tell them that when you're teaching a reading group that you need to you need to do it however you think you should do it the right way? They're not. They're automatically saying, I don't even know um, how if they even have reading groups anymore if they have all-class instruction or if they have everybody on the same book because they don't have – school is like from 9 to 2, not 9 to 3 or 9 to 4. So what kind of reading program should these teachers use? And if they're going to assess somebody, how, do, how, do they, how are they going to do it? I mean, they have to meet the needs of the students in their class. I don't even know if they use reading groups anymore. So how do we get all these kids to learn? Well, those, those are three excellent questions, and I probably need an hour to answer each, but I, I'm going to give you I know, my best take shot. the first one. <laughs> they're, they're very good questions. Number one, and to be honest with you, for the, the little ones, let's talk about the kindergartners and first graders. If, yeah. if I were asked, if I were asked, it, it, first of all, even in normal times, but in pandemic times with the virtual learning, et cetera, et cetera, and now they're returning to school, um, uh, getting a face-to-face -face instruction, thank, thank goodness, uh, at least in some schools. Um, I, I would highly, highly recommend the language experience approach to reading. Uh -huh. for, you're familiar with that, kindergarten, first, second graders. Uh, the language experience approach is basically <clears throat> what you can, it's based upon the premise what I can think I can say, what I can say I can write or have someone write for me, what I could write, I can read, and I could read what other people write. That's the whole underlying premise of language experience. So basically you ask, you could do this, again, with Zoom. You could ask a group of students to tell you about their pets or what they did uh, the other day and that they're home a lot. You ask each of them experiences, and then as a teacher, you act as a scribe, and you write down one of the, you pick one of, one of them, okay? Let's do Joey's today. And you write Joey's story, 
and then you have the, the, the class as a group collectively read it, and mm-hmm. if they can't get a word, you ask them to use the context. If that doesn't work, simply tell them. You could also then, <clears throat> before you do anything else, get up and get out their crayons and or magic markers and illustrate the story. Okay, and then let them chorally read the story. Friend, I've done that. Language experience is my absolute favorite, and it's so easy. You need pencil and paper and crayon. And children, uh, clearly, we don't have to make up experiences. They have experiences. And mm-hmm. and the beauty of it is I remember doing this with a second-grade class, and the teacher told me, oh, God, you have Joey in there, and Joey is so severely learning disabled. I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll work on it. And we were they were doing one of those basal, uh, you know, uh, uh, the cat sat on the mat with the fat cat, that kind of thing. So we did that for 10 minutes, and we, we, we put them aside. And I did language experience. And uh, everybody was talking about their, their pets and who has a cat, who has a dog. Who, and finally, this little Joey put up his hand, and the teachers observing me were, were shocked. But he put up his hand. He said, Dr. C., I I have I have an aquarium, and I said ah, and the teachers I, I just turned quickly to the teachers observing, and they were like shocked that Joey was actually participating. I said okay Joey that's wonderful. Tell me about your aquarium. Well I have this kind of fish and this kind of fish and this and he mentioned several kinds of fish, and then he mentioned what I thought were. Uh, let me see, I thought he said Eon Tetra. So when I wrote this I said okay. Thank you. And we had now four stories. These are the four children. I said, you know what? Why don't we Why don't we write Joey's story down? So I wrote it down, okay, on the easel, and we all read it. After we all read Joey's story, I said, is it chorally in a choral fashion together? Mm-hmm. After we did that, I said, who would like to take a shot at reading it all by himself? Joey's hand went up. And why did Joey's hand went up? This was his experience, yes? This is really learning to think the child is when you give him meaningful text, okay? And you That's right. He read through it very nicely. I might, might have had to give him a word or two here or there. Uh, but finally, when we got to the end, he said, my favorite fish were the, uh, my favorite fish were the, uh, I said, what's the matter, sweetheart? He said, well, well, well Dr. C, he said, um, you you wrote Eon Tetra. I said, uh-huh, honey, is that not what you said? He said, well, um, Dr. C, it's not Eon Tetra. It's Neon Tetra. No, no. I know what that is. Neon Tetra. There you go. But I didn't, okay? So this this this, this couldn't have been better if I if I had planned it, okay? Here's a little guy correcting right, the, 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 the VHD in reading uh, who had a, a poor... A fish schema, right? And uh, it was just wonderful. So anyway, answer your first question. Language experience with kindergartners, first graders, and each time you build, and you're building up a story, I'm sorry, a, a group of stories, and they just keep practicing those stories much better than any basal way of teaching first, second graders. Okay, your second question was, what about all those other kids who are beyond that grade? Friend, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm such a, I think you are as well, as someone who's read hundreds of uh, pieces of children's literature. I'm so uh, enamored with uh, having children read complete text. 
Okay. Yeah. There, there are enough, there are enough third or fourth or fifth grade texts around that are that can be used to help teach reading. And a teacher who knows how to teach reading can read. I, I always say can teach reading from the back of a cereal box. But but again, you take something like uh, 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 let me say a bridge to Terabithia for fifth graders. Yeah. You, you mm-hmm. think. Uh, you take uh, something maybe a little bit more difficult for uh, sixth, seventh graders, the giver, uh, which 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 is uh, still debated amongst adults as to what it means. And you make sure as they're they're reading the book at home, and you you become the the mastermind by virtue of the kinds of questions you're asking them. You you start out with your literal questions, your factual questions, then you mm-hmm. want to your Interpretive questions uh, between the lines. Then you move on to your applied questions beyond the lines. Uh, I, I have a, a couple of relatives I know who ask me, George, the teacher is doing the, the virtual learning on the computer with the kids at home. And what she's doing for 40 minutes in English is she's reading the book to them. I said, okay, what else? Nothing that she do do any questioning? No. Does she have them do writing assignment? No. That's unconscionable, friend, as we both know. Okay? Well, I'll you, tell you, you we, have about, we have about three minutes. You're right. Okay. Because the lady in the bakery, she, she called me last week, two, week, two weeks ago, and her daughter had yeah. to write an essay. Now, notice yes. that you got the wrong person here. She said she had to write an essay on how Jesus dealt with his disciples. And I just uh-huh. looked at her and I go, are you seriously asking me to help you do something that I know nothing about? And I actually had to look it up, and I had to guide her into into huh? how to do it. But basically, yeah, um, my niece is in uh, school. She's going for respiratory therapy, and the teacher read A Rose for Emily. And I said, well, did she question you? Did she ask you, you know, did the professor ask you why Emily isolated herself, whatever? No, he just yeah. gave the assignment and said to do it. I, that's what's yeah. happening now. They're using the excuse of there is no excuse. If, you, if you're doing yeah. it virtual, then you could ask the, the children, did you read it? Do you understand what you read? You see, that's what gets me angry. But uh, we have about uh, a minute, and we can um, – there's a lot more questions that I have that we can do. Yeah. Let me look at my schedule. I'm a very – I'm so popular, it's scary. Let's say one on the <laughs> second, one on the fifth. I could do May 12th at 10. Is that good? To continue? Sure. Does that work? Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to put that in right now because this way when they ask me to do an interview with, a, with an author, I can tell them too bad. Okay. <laughs> Sounds so good. for those of you that are going to listen on Monday, this is going to be different. Psychotherapist Dennis Palumbo and I are going to tackle depression, anxiety, and winter blues. And on Thursday, this is the first. She's New York Times, one of the top New York Times authors, uh, Marsha Muller, Ice Cold. On the 24th, Dr. Maxine Thompson, Lineage. She's she's amazing. And on the 26th, we're going to talk about the last line of a book. So this has been fun. Let me tell you, I needed something to perk me up today. And when I talk about reading, it it just brings my whole life back and so so important. And the the one thing that people tell me, and I tell them it's because of you, that when I do a book review, they say you get what the book is about when nobody else understands it. 
I said, there's a reason. And I told him that's because I learned learned it when I took your class. And tell you, the reading program at Lehman was the, was the tops. I don't know if you knew yeah. Andrea Sledge or Bob Delisle and them. They ran the program and they tortured me when I was well, same way. Yeah, but they were Sledge. unbelievable. He was great. Andrea Sledge interviewed me for that job, friend. Yeah, he he but, was really. Yeah. And Bob Delisle was, was a wonderful guy, also. Yeah. Yeah, he taught the literature classes, and she taught. Oh, it was amazing. I never, I never thought that I, I could learn so much in two years or whatever, but I did. But I want to thank you and stay away from people and everyone. It's, it's beautiful outside, and I really wish that everybody would do something nice for everybody. An act of kindness may make the pandemic disappear because it's not kind at all. So everybody have a great day. Dr. Cavuto, thank you. We'll talk to you again. I will send you questions. Send me more talking points as to what we missed today besides the speech to the reading. And everybody have a great day, and bye.